would be. Hope for tomorrow, strength for today, amen. Thank you, Brother Marcus. As I've mentioned, it's always a treat to be able to worship with you. And you lead us before the throne of grace. What a treat it is, amen. Amen. I wish I could sing. I tell everybody I was cut out to sing. I was just sewed up wrong is all it is. <laughs> just not in me. I had to stick with my calling. Amen. Well, Marcus is also a great Bible teacher now. He knows the Word of God. We have quite a few discussions as we journey and walk through life, and he's well equipped with the Word. He teaches the Word. He's got a youth group that he leads and teaches. They walk through the Scriptures together. I recall when Marcus had asked if he could take Lydia's hand in marriage, uh, we, of course, he had to come and ask me if he could even quarter, and I think I've shared with y'all before. Have I ever shared with y'all before about the puzzle? Well, I told Marcus he couldn't take Lydia anywhere until he brought me a thousand-piece puzzle, and we'd sit down as a family and put that puzzle together before they ever got to go anywhere. Well, while he was putting that puzzle together, we would have Bible talking and talking about, and I would quiz him on the book of Romans and what he knew and those things. So even as a young fella, he was still uh, at a place. He was already working in ministry and growing in grace. And, you know, you, a thousand-piece puzzle will take you a while, amen, especially when you can't work on it every day. And you can only work on it a couple hours at a given time when you could. But he did his best. They did their best so they could eventually go out and uh, go on their own. And uh, they get down to the last piece. And the last piece of the puzzle was missing. Uh, I had that piece. Amen. <laughs> they, had, they still had to come through me to go, go anywhere they was going. So it, it just like putting a puzzle together, the last piece is important, right? Well, Lydia was important to us, and we wanted Marcus to know that, and therefore we entrusted her unto him, and he's been a great husband and father, and we thank the Lord for that. Uh, brother David, thank you again, brother, uh, for what you mean to me and our family, and we thank you for allowing us to come and take upon the responsibility to open up the Word of God. We don't take that lightly at all, and I ask y'all to pray for our Briggs Chapel family this morning as they gather together. A young preacher by the name of Chris Riles, his dad is in our, his dad and mom are in our church and connected to us, but he's a Bible teacher and preacher, and uh, he's filling in for me this morning, and uh, the chapel family means so much to us. We can't do what we do without them. We come today as missionaries from Briggs Chapel, and we just thank them for their investment and love for us. I mentioned to y'all last night, if there was anything I would ask for you to pray for us, that would be that Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. And I would also add to that the book of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. That's where Paul asked the church to pray for him that when he spoke the gospel, that he would speak it with authority, with affection, and with, with accuracy. And if anybody was to preach with those three dynamics, it would be him. And, but he still asked the church to pray for him for that to happen. And that God would open doors, not for Paul and not for the missionaries, but that God would open doors for the word of God to run swiftly. And that's what we ask for, that God would open doors for all of us for the word to go forth. Because power is not in us, amen. Amen. 
powers in the living word of God that brings the message of God to God's people. And therefore, the life of that word is transferred by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that power and that message of his can change lives, can't it? So that's what we ask for, that, that you would pray over us in the coming days and that we look forward and anticipate our time with you next year. Thank each of you for your warm, warm hospitality. That is something that every, not everybody has the gift of hospitality. Uh, that, that, is, that is a given. There, God has people set aside for those giftings, but everybody graced, has been graced to be hospitable. And you have been graciously hospitable uh, to Marcus and I, and we value that. Thank you for feeding us, taking good care of us. I gained some weight this week. And uh, but y'all have uh, fed us really well. Not only that, you've invested in us and you passed things on to us and you've given us resources and all those things. We thank you from the bottom of our heart. Those are kingdom minded actions and we pray God will multiply it. Amen. You know, every one of us in here are living off barred bread. Are you with me? And you see, but barred bread put in the right hands uh, can feed thousands and millions, can it? Borrowed bread put in the right hands when Jesus blesses it and he breaks it and he shares it. You know what he does with it, huh? He multiplies it. Amen. So everything we do, everything I preach, everything I bring to you is borrowed bread. I'm borrowing it from him and others that I picked up on through the years. Just like you, when you invest in other people, you taking borrowed bread and giving it over to the master and asking him to bless it, break it, share it, and multiply it and uh, leave it in his hands. And man, he can feed a lot of people when we do that. And we praise him and thank him for his willingness to do it. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 23 is not where we're going. Uh, this morning, but he says that it's not in a man to know his own way. How can a man know his own way? It's not in a man. It, it, you got to know the maker and where it's coming from and uh, who, what we're to do with it. It's just not in us. None of us walk to the beat of our own drum. Even when we think we are, we're not. Are you with me? We are an accumulation of things we've seen, heard, and gleaned through the years, but none of us walk to the beat of our own drum matter of fact the scripture says a man plans his way but the lord directs his steps amen aren't you glad for a god that intervene and interrupt and invade your life and do what you can't do i sure am so thank y'all thank you church and this morning i want to kick off in the book of acts again but i want you to go to Acts 17 acts 17 it is important for us to take God at his word, to believe him by faith. Brother John T. taught Sunday school this morning, a great message out of Romans and Romans 6, and great questions were asked. And we're going to look at a couple questions that are asked in the word of God this morning. We could even title this message that, Questions from God. And these questions are questions we could ask ourselves on a consistent basis. And I think they will help us. But in John, excuse me, Romans chapter 6, in that Sunday school lesson, it says that we are to likewise reckon ourselves as dead to sin and alive unto God. Alive because of the power of the resurrection and the work of Jesus. Well, see, that's a faith thing. You got to put faith in the fact that you died with Christ on the cross, that you was buried with him when you was buried, when he was buried, and you was resurrected to new life. 
That's when we present our bodies to the Lord as living sacrifices. That's the idea. You come in as a resurrected sacrifice through the life sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's kind of like how the children of Israel were told they can have the promised land. And they looked at the promised land. They walked for 40 days in the promised land. And they came back and said, it's just too many people. They're too big. We can't not outnumber them. They're not going to give it up. We can't have what God promised. So what did God tell them? You're right. You can't have it right now. And he sent them in the wilderness for every day they walked through the promised land for one day equaled one year. So for 40 years, now they got to turn back in. Why? Because they didn't take God at his word. Now, two men did, right? Who were the two men that did? Joshua and Caleb. And because they wholeheartedly trusted the Lord, 45 years down the road, Caleb is standing there looking at that mountain, that hill that God told him he can have. And he says these words, ever since God spoke that word to me some 40 years ago, he has given me strength. And today at 85, I'm as strong as I was at 40. Praise God. Why? And that phrase, ever since, ever since God gave me something to cling to, to hold to. He strengthened me. And all of us need ever since moments in our life. Amen. We sang about it last night. Them Ebenezer's. Those stones of remembrance when God done something. You cling to those. Thank you Lord for those Ebenezer's in our life. That we can say ever since God said this to me. Ever since God done this for me. Ever since God did this. He's altered the course of my life. He's done something in me that's changed the direction and the thought process that I lived upon. And then the rest of the children of Israel, on the other hand, believed the other ten guys that said we can't have it. So God turned them back. They turned them back. Well, that's the same way about the resurrected life that we have in Christ. We got to believe we have it. Amen. That we really died with him. We were really buried with him. And we were really resurrected with him. And the life that Jesus lived then. He wants to what? Live in me now. And I got to believe that like they had to believe the gift of the promised land. Amen. Well, if I was to ask y'all. What is the primary mission of us as the believer. As the church of God. The primary assignment, the primary thing, the primary thing that we are called as believers to do is, is number one, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we do and say. Now, to do that, how can we say then, how do I know if I'm glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ? Where there's, there's a few things that the church is, is called to do. Number one, we're called to what? Reach people for Jesus. And all God's people say it. If, if I'm reaching people for Jesus, I'm on the right path to glorify Jesus. If I'm not actively, intentionally, purposely, thoughtfully, creatively making every effort in my life, using everything God brings into my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How many of y'all got some ugly stuff in your life? Come on now, y'all better off than me. I need to know how you done it, amen? How many of y'all got some... Terrible things that have surfaced around your journey and your walk. We all do. Amen. It's just inevitable. I'm walking in here today. I got cancer. But you know, I, I don't want to wallow in the thing, cancer. I want to wallow in my king. Amen. So I want to use every opportunity he gives me to testify to him of how good he is. My old blood's messed up and corrupt. 
But his royal blood is able to, uh, he done made a swap with me, amen. He done, get, he done took my old bad stuff and gave me his good stuff and praise God. So every time I go to the doctor, uh, Brother David, them, them lab technicians pull up my sleeves and because I've been through chemo, anybody else been in here been through chemo? Well, because I've been through chemo, my old veins are not the best in the world. That means every time they try to draw blood from me, they have a hard time getting it. So that means when I walk out of that doctor's visit and I go every 42 days and they draw blood and they put a, a needle in me and infuse some stuff in me and I walk out with six to seven sticks in my arms every time. Praise God, it don't affect me. Amen. It don't bother me. I got a guy in my church, if you just show him a needle, he'll pass out right in front of you. Praise God, I ain't give me that spirit. But every time they go to draw blood from me, and they working on me, I'll tell them, I say, y'all know, you know what? I'm in the blood business. And they say, you are? Where do you work? What lab do you work in? Or what lab are you over? And I say, no, that's not kind of the blood business I'm in. I said, I, I'm in the king's blood business. I, I get to preach the blood of Jesus. And I get to tell them about my old messed up blood, but what he's done for me in his royal blood. And it just opens up opportunities. I get to do that every single time. Then doctors will come in, especially a new doctor when he comes in. He'll say, well, uh, Mr. Holden, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> and he looks at me with a gleam in his eye. And he said, oh, man, I got somebody in here now. What do you mean a storyteller? I said, you know, I get to tell a story of Jesus. Over and over and over and over and over again every day of my life. I just rearrange it. I just reuse it. I just come at different angles at it. But I get to tell the story of Jesus every day of my life. And that's what I get to do for a living. And it opens up a door with a new person to tell them of what we get to do. Why? Because my assignment is to reach people... In their sin. Now, aren't you glad God doesn't come to you? You got to be cleaned up before you come to you. Amen. We, we reach sinners for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Titus 2.11 would say. That the grace of God has appeared unto all men. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That we will live soberly and righteously in this present age. Looking to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify unto himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. Amen. And you know what that means? His grace, him, Jesus, reaches us in our sin. And when he reaches us, he impeaches us from the throne of our life. And then he begins to teach us how to love people, how to live for him, and how to look for his blessed hope and glorious appearing. Amen? See, but that's one way we do it. We reach people. But the people we reach for Jesus, then we have the assignment to teach them about Jesus. Amen? We reach them and teach them. So what? That we can equip them to serve Jesus and then mobilize them to go with Jesus to keep reaching, teaching, and equipping. Amen? That's how we as the body of Christ, that's our assignment and how we most glorify the Lord in reaching, teaching, equipping, and mobilizing people. And this is what we see with the apostle here doing this work. He was right where God wanted him to be. As we've been talking about this week, you know, be there. 
And when you're there, God uses you. God blesses you. God speaks to you. And what he speaks to you, he speaks to you to pour it out on other people. So let's start in verse number 22. And we're going to use our Bibles again, which I believe in using them. And I think as you go look at it in your word, it'll help you remember it as well. But there's a principle that God has given us is that if you don't go give it away, you'll never get to keep it. If you don't go give these things away, you'll never get to keep it. God's kingdom says, how do you keep a thing? You got to give it away. If you want love, what do you need to do? You need to go love some folks. Amen. You want a blessings? You need to do what? Be a blessing. You want judgment? You go judge people and I guarantee you they're going to do what? It's going to come back on you. You go show people mercy. You show the mercies of the Lord. What's going to fall on your life day in and day out? The mercies of God. Amen. You want to give your resources. What does God say? You can't outgive him. Amen. If you want to keep truth in your life, you have to go give it away. You got to go talk about it. You got to go share it with people. And you'll never run out of the truths of the wonders of God. There's a principle in Proverbs 11.25 says, He who waters shall be watered himself. A water is an encourager, a truth giver. And when you water people, God says he'll make sure your bucket is always full. Amen. You will never run out of something to give away to the glory of God if you keep giving it away. So, verse 22 of Acts chapter 17 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said to the men of Athens, he's in Greece, he said, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, their religion did not save them and it won't save them. And that's what he's going to draw out of. For as I was passing through and considered the objects, not the one, but the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription. What is Paul doing? He's just capitalizing on what's before him. He's using what God gives him. What did God give him? This inscription. What did the inscription say? It said to the unknown God. It's hard to worship the unknown God if you don't know who he is. Amen. God came down to make himself known to us, didn't he? So he says to the unknown God. Therefore, Paul says, the one who is unknown to you, I know him. And I'm going to tell you about him. Amen. He says, verse 24, God, this is the one you don't know, the creator who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, what men can create, what men can do, what men can build, as though he, this God, needed anything, because he don't need anything, since he, this God, who you don't know, gives to all life, breath, and all things, he's the supplier, Verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men. Y'all say, God is my maker. There ain't a person on this planet that, that God is not his maker. Amen. And now he's going to say, not only did he make every man, but he made every man to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined, God has their pre-appointed times, that is, when you would live, and the boundaries of your dwellings, where you would live. God has predetermined that you would live in this community in Walker County, Alabama, 
or Carbon Hill or Etheridge or Jasper or Winfield or wherever it is you are, wherever you came from, wherever you've been, God was intimately in the details of when you would be born, where you would be born, and he has an expectation from you. Now that'll bless you, amen. You th how many of y'all are concerned about your grandkids in the coming days? You need to be, number one. How many of you believe that they're going to inherit some things in our society that you didn't inherit years ago? That they're going to be there going to be some issues that continue to rise and come that our society is pushing. And you're thinking, man, I sure would not want to be born in these times and have to live through some of, some of this stuff. Some of you live through some grand times in days gone by. Are you with me? But I want to tell you, the only time you and I have or they have to bless the Lord is right now. And God is the one who says, as we sang, I believe, in a minute, a minute ago in a song, we can rejoice in the day that God has made. Amen. And we can be glad in it. Why? Because who fashioned this day? God did. Hebrews 11.3 says, we believe by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The word world there in Hebrews 11.3 is not the word for the cosmos, the world, though God is the maker of all things, but he's also the God of the ages, the eons, the ages. Therefore, he's the God of the day and he's going to be the God of the future. And therefore, we don't have to necessarily wonder what God's going to do with our grandchildren grandchildren we need to be praying that God's going to draw them to himself that he's going to rescue them through the blood of Jesus but I want to tell you God is sovereign over this day amen and he's going to be sovereign over the more if he gives us another day and he's going to be sovereign over eternity when there are no more days why because he's the alpha and the Omega, he had the first word, and I want to tell you he's going to have the last word. Amen. So you can rest in him, and you don't have to fret what a world's going to do. What you want to know is what's God doing, and what is he going to do in me, and how is he going to show his glory to me that my kids may see his work and his glory in my life. Amen. Moses prayed that in Psalm 90, a great psalm for you to look up in, beginning in verse 13 through 17. He said that, Lord, show your work to us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish your business to us that we may see your glory, that our children may see that glory in and through our life. And that's what they need to see. A lot of the reasons why our kids are not serving the king and doing what? They just hadn't seen the glory of God upon mom and dad and grandpa and grandma. They need to see it on us. Amen. And the only way to see it, you got to be involved in his work. You got to be involved in his work of reaching people, teaching people, equipping people and mobilizing, using your time, using your treasures, using your thoughts, using your trust, using everything you got to reach people, teach them and equip them and mobilize them to be those missionaries for Jesus. Why? Because he's given us life. He's given us breath. He's given us all things and we can't help but praise him. Amen. He says these words, verse 27, why did he appoint our times and our boundaries and make us so that we should seek the Lord in the hope, the expectation that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, that's the expectation of God that we would seek him. And a person that doesn't seek him as a way of life is still outside the will of God. That is evidence of somebody, one, somebody who's sensitive, as we've been illustrating with our rock, 
that belongs to the Lord. They're sensitive to the work of God and the witness and the message of God. And then they live as seeking God as a way of life. That's God's great expectation upon us that we seek Him. And I want to tell you, He's not hard to find. Amen. That's what He's telling us here. If you want to find Him, He's going to be found by you. Why? Because that's what he made it for. What did God do? This goes back to the Tower of Babel. Y'all remember at the Tower of Babel, what did God tell the people to do? To go what? Populate, repopulate the face of the earth. Didn't he spread out? Repopulate the face of the earth. What did Nimrod and the rest of the people do? They did just the opposite. They said, let us come together and let us build a tower under God. And what did God do to them? What did he do? Y'all remember? He confused them and frustrated them in their languages so that they couldn't communicate with one another. And he took over and what? Spread them out then. And that's where we get all the different people groups from all the different nations around. And that's why he says that this group of people was predetermined to be where they are. And this group of people were predetermined to be where they are. And God predetermined every one of them's times. But it was intended for them to seek him. They said we're not going to seek him. So they take matters in their own hands. So God frustrates them so that they would seek him. Amen. You ever been frustrated in your life? The next time you get frustrated, just thank God for it. Because you know what God's doing in your life? He's calling on you to seek Him first. That, the frustration is a gift from Him. To seek Him. We see it right here. He frustrated them so that they would seek and grope for Him. Why? Because they couldn't help one another. So who did He want them to turn to? Himself. How can a man know his own way unless he knows his maker? God set it up that way. God made it that way. Because God knows what's best for us. Amen. And he made it. So if you're struggling with anything in life and frustrated with where you are in life, I encourage you to seek the Lord first. And ensure, beg him to give you a heart of sensitivity, a heart of flesh that can hear him, see him, feel him. And then what? Be steadfast in what he gives you to do. Be steadfast in what he gives you to do. And when times get slippery in your life, I was just talking to someone about it. How many of you are in some slippery times right now? Oh, Stephanie's got a bad back. Some about 12 years ago, she had to have surgery on her back. And Stephanie is one of those girls that she gets in a hurry. She can get in a hurry. And she'll take big old strides. And every time she gets out of that vehicle, especially on a wet, rainy day, I have to remind her. I say, now, Stephanie, remember, the ground's slippery out there, so take short steps. I played football and growing up, and one of the things that I did playing football was a punter. And my coach taught me on rainy nights that if I didn't want to embarrass myself and look like a fool out there on rainy, rainy nights, I couldn't take my normal stride when I would go to punt. I would have to shorten my stride up so that I can keep my feet what? Under me. And my feet wouldn't come out from under me. 
And when you're pitching on rainy days and the mound is wet and I pitched as well, you couldn't take your normal stretch and stride. You had to shorten it up to keep on top of the ball so your feet wouldn't slip. And then you get a ball high and old boy jacks it out of the stadium on you. <laughs> so you had to think that on wet, slippery days, you got to take short steps. So when you're frustrated and you're, and you're lacking peace, and I want to tell you, peace only comes from God. You can't generate peace yourself. Right. Scripture says in Isaiah 26, 3, it says this, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because they trust in you. Peace is a product of righteousness. And righteousness is applied only through trust or faith. God sees our faith as righteousness and righteousness goes to work to produce peace in us and a peace that goes beyond understanding. That not only do I have peace with God, but I have peace from God and then I have a peace that goes beyond understanding. And that all applies to taking those short steps of walking with the Lord. Amen. God created us to seek Him. To seek Him. To seek Him. To seek Him. As a way of life. So Paul is taking this group of people. He's glorifying the Lord. And reaching them with this message. And he says these words. Verse 28. For in him. For in him. This God who he's just described. For in him. We live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. We live, move, and have our being, our existence. God's created us when he created us to find life in him. We're to move about and live and exist in him. And the evidence would be that I'm seeking him for this. Psalm 119, 155 says this. This would be a great passage to write down and look up. For salvation... That is, everything associated with salvation and deliverance. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek thy statutes. They don't live as a way of seeking answers from God. So everything associated with salvation isn't attached to them. You can't see it upon their life. And the word wicked simply means those that are wrong. And the reason they're wrong, they're not what? Right with God. A man not right with God is considered wrong, and that wrongness is wickedness. Even if it's in good things, it's still wicked. As Proverbs would say, even the plowing of the wicked is what? Sin. Why? Because the wicked man is a wrong man, and he's only wrong because he ain't right with a holy God, and the only way to be right with God is through grace. Amen? So we live, move, and have our being, our existence. Think about when God created the world. Because this is all bringing us back to this idea. We live, move, and have our being in Him. When God created the fish, who did God speak to? Oh, when God created the birds and the, and the beast of the field, who did He speak to? He said, let the sea and let the earth bring forth, right? Why? Where do you find squirrels? Where at? They live and move and have their existence where? In the, in the skies, in the trees. You ever seen a fish in a tree? And now you go to Smith Lake, you will. But those fish are what? 
underwater, right? Because those trees are underwater. Now, they'll live in those beds, but a, but a fish can't live out of water. Why? Because he what? Moves, lives, and has his existence in what God created him for. Birds of the air live in the air because that's what God created them for. And he spoke to that area, that place that he was, that they were created for where they would live, move, and have their existence in. But when he comes to mankind, he didn't speak to the air. He didn't speak to the earth. He didn't speak to the waters. This is what he said. Let us make man. Why? Because man can't exist and live and have his moving, moving around unless it's what? In him. Amen. Glory be. That's where you want to live. When you're living in him, you're living for what he created you for. Amen. And these men were not living there, but Paul had a heart to what? Reach them for Jesus and connect them to him. So that they would have their moving and their living and their existence in him. And anytime man gets out of that, man has to be restored to that. Y'all right. remember in the garden there was a man that God created first. And what was his name? Adam. Adam which simply means man. And then out of man God created Eve, a woman. And he made them male and he made them female. And he gave them some things that they could do and one thing they were not to do. And he gave them all the abundance of the garden and all the abundance he gave them first. But he restricted them just to one thing. And that one thing was the what? Tree of knowledge. Of what? Good and evil. So that tree was a tree of knowledge and that tree had good on it. It had good fruit on it. But you see, even that which is good, that is without God, is deadly. You see, you can be doing good and good things, but it's not with God, it's not for Him, it's not through Him, and whatever you're doing good is deadly. It's deceptive. So that tree that had good fruit on it was restricted to them because God wasn't in it. What he was teaching Adam and Eve from the very beginning is what Jesus taught when he came is that man is not to live on what? Bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That man and that woman had no need for that good fruit on that tree when God was leading them. Amen. You hear what he's saying there? They didn't need that, that tree of knowledge. They didn't need that. They didn't need it. Why? Because God was leading their life. But somebody came in and misled them. And when they misled them and they heeded his voice, they questioned the essence of God. They questioned the expectation of God. They questioned the enjoyment of God. And all of a sudden they realized that something was wrong with them. What were they? Who told them they were naked? Their conscience bared witness with them that they were naked. And then what happened? The, bad, the good thing turned the bad thing on them quick, didn't it? I want to tell you good things that some of you are doing right now are deadly. Not only to you, but your children and people following you. Because God ain't in it. God ain't in it. 
Everything you do, you want to know you're doing it. You're moving about it. You live and own it. And it's in your existence because God's in it. And he's led you to it. The first thing man ever did apart from God's wisdom led to deception, death, and darkness. Because what came out of man that wasn't of God, Eve, in taking that fruit, only led to death, didn't it? That's right. And that's why in the book of Proverbs, for an example, have you ever noticed that when God refers to his wisdom throughout the scriptures, it's always in the feminine sense? He always speaks of it as a female in the feminine sense. And I think the reason is it's more than just poetry. You can't consistently throughout the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament refer to wisdom like Sophia in the New Testament about wisdom. You can't, you can't consistently uh, refer to that in the book of uh, Proverbs and throughout the Word of God. You can't refer to that in a feminine sense and it only be poetry. It has a meaning to it. What did God say about Adam when he didn't have a companion in the garden? That it is not good for man to be alone. So what did God create out of man? A woman. And he brought woman to her, to him. And he had him a help meet. And they were one together as man together. And that's the picture. It's not good that man be without the wisdom of God. He need, man needs God's wisdom. Amen. Because what is wisdom going to teach us? Number one, it's going to teach us how to fear the Lord. How to put proper priority and place in the Lord. How to do that. Well, see, sin distorts that, doesn't it? Sin distorts it. So Adam and Eve realize they're naked. So what's the next thing that they do? They're shameful over it. So they tried to do in their own strength. What did they try to do? They tried to cover it up. Was it sufficient? No, because when God showed up, where were they? They're hiding away. Isn't that how the enemy works? What does John 10 say? For the enemy cometh nothing but to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. You know what he's going to steal? The message in the word of God. That's what he wants to steal. Remember that parable in Matthew 13 that the seed that falls by the wayside? What comes along and takes that up? The birds of the air, right? Scripture says Satan comes along and snatches it out of their mind, their heart before they could ever believe it. Because that's what he wants to steal. What does he want to kill in your life? Your worth. Your worth. What did Adam and Eve see themselves? They saw themselves unworthy. They were ashamed for where they are. So they then try to fix it. But they can't fix it. Ultimately, what does he want to destroy? The world that you live in. And what happened to Adam and Eve? What did God do? Kicked them out of the garden, right? And then protected them from having access to the tree of life. But you see, when they were ashamed and afraid, God asked a question there in Genesis chapter 3. What did he come to Adam and say in the cool of the day? What did he say? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, did God need to know where Adam was at? Who needed to know where Adam was at? Adam needed to know. That's right. You see, how many of you on the railroad, did y'all have standard operating procedures? An SOP? Had certain things you had to do? Checklist? Do we have any pilots in here? Everybody ever fly a plane in here? Any nurses in here? 
Do y'all have standard operating procedures? Do you have some checklists that you got to go by and check off and ask questions and make sure for your safety and liability as well as the safety of the patient? Do you have things you got to mark off? We done this. We done that. We asked this. We done that. Well, you see, these will be a good advice for you and me in our daily journey because the key is, remember, you want to be sold out for Jesus, glorifying him, reaching people, teaching people, equipping people, and mobilizing. But every once in a while, if you're like me, you get out of step with it. Something distracts you. Something gets you off course. And then you get down, you get frustrated, you're not doing anything. And you need to ask the question, where am I? Where am I? God didn't need to know. God knew right where Adam and Eve were at. He knew it what they had already done. God questioned them in a sense that he wanted them to confess. He wanted them to acknowledge. He wanted them to realize that they had gotten pulled off and pulled away. So God says, where are you? We need to have a little checklist every once in a while. Nick needs to wake up from day to day or week to week, from time to time. If things just not coming, I'm not seeing life the way God told me I would see it. You remember that? Where the disciples went where they were sent and they found it just as Jesus meant. And if I'm not seeing that, you know what I need to do? I need to throw the red flag up. I need to throw the white flag of surrender and say, Nick, where are you right now? Where are you? I need to come to Jesus. Amen. I need to come to Jesus moment and know that I, I done, I've done been trying to fix things myself. I've been trying to cover things myself. And I've been shameful in trying to do it. And I'm doing it in my own strength. And God graciously comes and says, Nick, where are you? Not that he slapped them in the head. Praise God he didn't do that. Now, if it was James Boy, he would have gave him a Gerber slap. You know what I mean? Brother John T., you ever had to Gerber slap some of them athletes you coached? You ever call one of them a knucklehead? One or two? How many of y'all ever been a knucklehead? We all been knuckleheads, right? Well, sometimes it would be the best thing you could ever do is just ask the question, where am I right now? Where am I? What am I doing? Well, that goes into, we move into another question that is asked. Y'all remember... Adam and Eve had a son, and the firstborn son, what was his name? Cain. And Cain had a brother, and what was his name? Abel. And remember, God came to Cain and Abel, and Abel was a submissive servant and did what God had asked him to do, and God accepted the man, and when God accepts the man, he accepts what the man offers him, right? But because he didn't accept Cain, no matter what Cain gave him, God wasn't going to accept it. But God gave him a gracious word, right? But Cain loved what Cain loved and liked what Cain liked. And he was upset that God didn't love the same things he loved. That he didn't appreciate what he appreciated. So he can't take it out on God, but he'll take it out on God's man. So what he does is what? Kill his brother. Are you with me? Isn't that what happens today with us? We got a society that says, look, you people of God, y'all don't like what we like. Y'all don't love what we love. And you say the Bible has other answers to that. Well, we can't do nothing about it, but we can sure take it out on you. And you see, Cain felt like he had the right to love what he loved and like what he liked and appreciate what he wanted. He just wanted God to value him right where he was at. But God doesn't do that, does he? God changes us. To change how we live and think in this world. 
Well, what did God come to him after he killed his brother? What did he ask him? Where? Where art thou, brother? Did he need to know where Abel was at? No. What did he need Cain to do? Confess, right? What did Cain do? He cut his brother off. He cut his life out. He cut him off. And that happens from time to time. We find ourselves at often when we are frustrated and we are uh, disillusional and operating in deception. You know what we stop doing? We stop gathering with the brother on a consistent basis. We cut them off from entering into our life and we don't confess our issues with them. We don't share things with them. We don't testify among them. We're no different than Cain, right? Who's wanting people to accept us and the things we accept, but we're just not willing to let God change our heart so that we can accept the things God accepts. Amen? So instead, what do we do, Brother David? We take it out on God's people. And we isolate ourselves. So every once in a while, I need to ask the question, if I'm not reaching, teaching, equipping, and mobilizing, yeah, I need to find out where I'm at, but I also need to find out where my brothers are at. I need to be thinking about those that God's put me in life with. Amen? And you can find that in Genesis chapter 4. But we can take it a step further with it. Another question would be, y'all remember Abraham and Sarah? And Sarah had a, a handmaid that Abraham and uh, had relations with, that had a son with, and what was her name? Hagar. Hagar. And she felt like she was being mistreated after they made this arrangement that she, her, Sarah had her eye on her and she wasn't, she wasn't being treated right. So she takes off one day and leaves. And God comes to her and he said, Sarah, where are you going? Where are you going? He knew where she was running to. He knew it was just going to lead her right into death. But what did God graciously do? He said, go back. Go back to Sarah. Go back. I'll take care of you. I'll use them to take care of you. I know you've been put in this position. It wasn't of your choosing and wasn't what you wanted out of life. It wasn't where you wanted to be and you were put in this. There's no need to run. Go on back and I'll take care of you. Sometimes we got to ask that question. Where am I going? Amen. Where am I going? Where am I headed? Where am I headed? But then there's another question. That we see God ask. And of course time's sake. We're not going to be able to get in all the details. But I would encourage you to go study these things. And look at these things. And these things that I've already mentioned. But there was a prophet by the name of Elijah. Y'all remember that prophet? Oh man. He was a mighty man of God. Mighty man of God. Done mighty things. God supernaturally blessed him. Used him. Provided for him. We already talked about it. Remember he was where he was supposed to be at that brook Cherith. And God sent the ravens and fed him bread and meat every day. And the brook provided him water. And then he sent him to the widow of Zarephath. And she fed him and took care of him while he was right where he was supposed to be. And y'all remember that time he had a big old showdown with Jezebel's prophets? Y'all remember that on Mount Carmel? And there was 850 of those false prophets up there that day. And he had them dig a trench. And they put water in that trench. And they tried all day to call down fire. And nothing would happen. And old Elijah called on the Lord and the Lord rained fire upon it consumed the sacrifice killed the prophets and lapped up the water you see but one thing that Elijah did that he made a mistake in is that he took credit 
as if he was the only man of God left on the planet. And when he did that, he discredited the glory of God. And now God's going to have to show him that he is letting issues of pride manifest in his heart. He's been sowing some seeds. Some of that isolation put him in a period where he got alone and he wasn't asking all these right questions that we're talking about today. And he let pride begin to well up in him and it's going to manifest. But this is what's going to happen. While he was up on that Mount Carmel, before he left, he prayed for Ahab, over Ahab, and he prayed and asked God to send the rain because it ain't rained in three years, right? Now, you got to keep in mind, only that which is done in faith endures for an eternity. Everything in the New Testament about God's men in the Old Testament, all the bad they did, like David and some of the things that Moses did, some of the things that uh, Abraham did, some of the things that others did, it's not highlighted in the New Testament. The only thing highlighted in the New Testament, everything they did by faith. Amen? Because that which is by faith is what's going to endure. So, but Elijah's up on that mountain and he prays and he looks and here's the cloud forming up. Here comes the rain. And he turns to that old wicked king Ahab. And he said, Ahab, the rain is coming. If you don't get off of this mountain on this chariot, you're not going to make it down. So you need to get down now. Because the rain is coming. And it's going to be a lot of water when it starts to fall. So Ahab gets in his chariot and he takes off going down that mountain and a chariot on the average speed would run around 18 to 20 miles an hour could get up to 30 and even at times potentially 40 miles an hour but here's the thing the scripture says that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and Elijah took out in a pair of sandals these sandals that you have on right now can you imagine running a marathon in those sandals Scripture says that he and his wisdom girded up his loins and tied them together so he could run. The hand of the Lord came upon him and he took out down that mountain running through those rocks and he outran the chariot and got to Jezreel before the chariot did. Jezreel from the top of Mount Carmel was 31 miles. So he ran 31 miles faster than a Average speed of a chariot at 20 miles an hour. And the fastest recorded time in our history of anybody running in a consistent way is only 13 miles an hour. So what we have recorded in the scriptures, hiddenly, you don't recognize it unless you look these things up, of how far it was and how long he ran, that's the fastest recorded marathon ever run in the history of man. Not because Elijah had the ability to run, but by the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. Praise God. Amen. Supernatural. Because of the hand of the Lord. But here's the key. As soon as he gets down to the mountain. Elijah gets to the gate of Jezreel. Ahab comes and reports to Jezebel. All that had happened. And in chapter 19 of the book of 1 Kings. Old Jezebel steps up and says. Ain't going to have it. If I don't kill that man, what happened to my prophets on that hill today in the next 24 hours, I ain't no salt. I don't have nothing in me. That man is going to die within the next 24 hours. And here's the problem. 
out of all the great things Elijah had done, Elijah, the scripture says, and Elijah saw, saw the threat. That meant it took his focus. He saw it. He focused in on it. And he began the spiral into depression. One of the greatest feats ever done in the kingdom of God, just a few hours before, now he's what? Spiraling in depression because his eyes saw the threat of a woman. He just killed 800, had 850 people die. Watch God do supernatural things in just one threat of a single woman. Now, I know women can threaten you. Are you with me? But just one threat of a wicked king got his heart so bound up that he couldn't function right from there on out. Why? God was exposing the pride that was in his heart. Because he stood on that mountain that day and told those people that were there that he was the only one left. So he goes in his depression and takes him a seat under a juniper tree and falls asleep. You know when you're depressed, how you want to isolate yourself? You want to sleep, that's all you do. You really ain't want to fool with nothing else or nobody. He falls asleep. But God did what? Sent an angel to him, didn't he? Tapped him on the shoulder, woke him up, and he had a plate of food right there for him. Scripture says he ate, went right back to sleep. Angel came and done it again. He ate and went back to sleep. And you see the process. The man's in, uh, he he's, has a sorrowful heart. He's down, he's low. And the scripture says he got up from there and he went. He would, had walked into the, uh, the wilderness of Beersheba and then made his way to Mount Horeb. And what does the scripture say? How long did it take him to get to Mount Horeb? Forty days and forty nights. But here's the thing. When you do the math on how far Mount Horeb was from the wilderness of Beersheba, he had a four-day walk at the most. You see, but when you're down and depressed and you're looking inward, your productivity goes from running a marathon, the fastest ever, to now taking 40 days to take a four-day four journey. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Why? Because who is Elijah looking to right now? Himself. He's looking inward. He's broken hearted. He's depressed. He's down. He goes to Mount Horb. But God in his compassion shows up on that mountain. And he's in the cleft of the rock. God comes by. And there's the wind. There's the fire. There's all this stuff. And Elijah comes out. And the question is asked. Listen. Listen to the question. God asked him a question. God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah says, Lord, you know how I serve you with all my heart and all my zeal. You know that. And I'm the only one left. And then... Elijah goes back in. The same thing happens again. The Lord comes and asks the same question twice on that mountain. Elijah. He says it like this. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah had done, processed this thought in his mind so much, he answered God verbatim the exact same thing he asked him before. 
You know what I'm talking about when you're going through trouble, how you how you work, your mind works on you and you think about the same thing over and over and over and again. You just dig yourself into a pit. Well, he was in this pit. But this time, this is what God tells him. He says, Elijah, this is what I want you to do. There's two kings I want you to go anoint and I want you to go find your replacement, Elisha. And matter of fact, I want you to know that I've got 7,000 servants that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And I already got your replacement set up for you. You stood on that mountain and even before me took credit for all this stuff because you've let pride get involved and you thought you was all alone in this. But you discredited me and I let Jezebel's word get a hold of you because I needed to expose it to you. And I need to ask you to question where, why are you here? What brought Elijah there? Pride brought him there. And sometimes we need to ask the question, why am I where I'm at? Amen. What's gotten me there? Has God led me there or has pride brought me there? So this is what he does. Instead of doing what God told him to do first, go find these kings and take care and anoint them, the first thing he does is go find his replacement. Why? He's ready to give it up. He's ready to throw it in. So he takes out Miss Annette and he goes and finds Elisha. Instead of going to anoint the kings, he finds the guy that's going to replace him. And when he comes by him, he sees him and Elisha's out in the field with a yoke of oxen working. And he walks by him and taps him on the shoulder and throws his mantle on him, just throws it on him. And Elisha says, wait a minute. Let me go back and tell my parents where I'm going. And it says that Elijah, Elijah then turns to him and said, Oh Lord, I done messed up your life too. You read about it, you'll see it. What have I done to you? These same things that's happened to me are now going to happen to you. I done messed you up too. And Elijah said, No, no, let me go back. He went back, come back, broke down that yoke of oxen, made a... Made it an offering right there. And he followed the prophet. And we see God turning things over to the, to the next man. Now God's still going to use Elijah. But we see things shifting to the next prophet. The point I'm making of this. Here's a great man. None of that's mentioned in the New Testament. Because the only thing mentioned in the New Testament is everything he done by faith. Amen. Why? Because great men still make great mistakes. And all God's people say it. Great people still do do silly things and let the wrong things get a hold of their heart so i say that to say this some of you in here are not in the process of reaching teaching equipping and mobilizing people and there's no way you could be walking and glorifying the lord in your everyday life if you're not involved in those four things some way or another and you need to ask the question where where am i you need to ask where am i going you need to ask the question what 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 am i doing here why am I here? And then I need, the, I need to answer the question that like Isaiah was given when God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah stood up and said, Lord, I'll go. And then he said, Lord, how long shall I go? And God told him, you go until there's no more people left and there's no places to go. Amen. So you keep going. And in Isaiah 53, which is also mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 8, this question is brought up. 
because Jesus was cut off early and he couldn't go and tell the rest of the story of what he's come to do. The question asked, who will go in his place and tell the story? It's an open-ended question both in Isaiah 53 and in Acts 8 when Philip was talking with the eunuch. Why is it an open-ended question? Because it's for us to answer. Amen. Well, we stand up and say, Lord, I'll go. I'll go tell your story. I know you were cut off, but I'll go tell it. I'll go tell it. And when I'm not telling it, I need to ask those questions. Like Adam was asked. Like Cain was asked. Like Hagar was asked. And like Elijah was asked. Where are you? Today, where are you? Yeah, you might be here. You know, you could be here but not here. Are you with me? You ever been with somebody but you wasn't with that person? Roger, your bride ever not been with you when you was with her? Miss Elizabeth, has he never not been with you when you wasn't with him? Huh? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all ever been here with Brother David, but you wasn't with him when he was teaching? Some of y'all wasn't with Mr. John T. when he was teaching Sunday school earlier. Your mind was running here and it was running there and going, some of you ain't been with me this morning, amen? Look. You can be with Jesus and not with Jesus. His disciples did it again and again, didn't they? So we want to ask these questions, Brother David, so we could be with him. Amen. So I can be in step with him. So I can see it the way he sees it. And I can do what he's come to do. Amen. So I ask you today, look, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're going to go. But if you're going to do anything for Jesus, I know he's got these plans for you to reach people. To teach people, to equip people, and then mobilize them to go with you as y'all go with him to reach this world for the cause of Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with us today? Father, we ask you to help us. Help us. Help us. With these things, we are at your mercy. And I pray that we would ask these same questions in our journey. And this morning, we'll deal business with you. We won't be in no hurry to run off to something else. We won't just rehearse it in our mind. But we'll deal, we'll deal with you rightly today. We want to be right with you. In Jesus name. Amen. Brother David.
It's really good to have you back with us today as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just ask your anointing to be placed on these men that you have here before us today. Father, that you have used them in a mighty way this week. Father, that you just continue to use them. Father, the, the, the heart of sharing God's word. Father, just continue to give Brother Nick the, the strength, the, the, the voice, the, just being able to, to share the knowledge. And Father, that as he studies your word, Father, it just continues to go. Father, does not fall for Father, you continue to use Brother Mark and Father, the church as he serves there at Bethany and with young people that, that he is yes. teaching and guiding. And Father, through, through the songs and through worship, Father, it is a true worship. And we just thank you for that. Father, this church, we thank you for the blessings of it. Father, that, that as you have heard the testimony, the love that's been shown, the care that's been shown, Father, we thank you that you're using us here. Father, given the challenge, Father, that it's not just about today, but Father, it's about every day that we're faithfully serving you. Father, we just ask your blessings upon the food. We thank you for the hands that we've prepared. Father, we just ask you to bless the, the time of fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more time. I'm so glad I'm a